0: Welcome back to Never Alone. In this episode, we get to have another interview with a brave woman who's willing to share their story on infertility. Erica is going to be on the podcast today, and we can't wait for you to hear her tell her story about how she learned she had unexplained infertility, which led her to go down the IVF route, and now she has three beautiful children with her today. And we hope that her story gives you hope in your personal journey. So listen in as we hear Erica's story on her infertility journey. Hi, Erica. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. Yes. Okay, so we'll just get started with you sharing a little bit about you and maybe your family now and your husband. Um, Okay. Yeah. So, um
1: yeah my name's Erica my um husband and I met in 2013 mm-hmm. and um he fell madly in love with me so we had to get married <laughs> um he um is actually a counselor just like your husband
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um yeah we got married in 2015 and I was... 29 and he was 33, I think. So like older quote Mm -hmm. unquote for getting married. Okay. So we got married in 2015 and, um, met in Atlanta. So we stayed
0: in Atlanta and have been here ever since. That's great. So tell us a little bit about, you know, how your infertility journey got started or what made y'all seek, um, a doctor's opinion, you know, give us a little history of that.
1: Yeah. So my story actually starts with my sister. She and her husband, I won't go into her whole story, but they tried to get pregnant for, I think it was like close to seven years. And so I watched her go through infertility um, for that whole period. And um, I was always very afraid that I was also going to have problems getting pregnant. I even remember going to a doctor before I even met Burke. Wow. <laughs> I Went to the OBGYN and I was just like, hey, so my sister has been trying to get pregnant for like five years. What are the chances? And she was like, oh, like that's not related. Like there's no way it would be a total weird random freak thing if she has unexplained fertility and that you also couldn't get pregnant. Right. And so I was like, okay, great. And then, yeah, met Burke and we got married in 2015, like I said. And because of our age, we started trying to get pregnant like sometime within the – towards the end of the, our first year of being, of being married. Burke was like not ready. <laughs> and I was like, you know, having my sister – Yeah. Having fertility, I was like, we should just start trying before we're ready. Glad we did. <laughs> because it did take longer than we thought and went down this whole fertility journey path. And because of my sister's experience, I was like heightened and hyper aware and very anxious mm-hmm. to begin with, um, which is really fun as I'm sure anyone who's experienced in fertility People just tell you to relax and you'll get pregnant. Yeah. And I'm like, how are you supposed to relax when you're trying yes. to get This is so stressful. Yeah. So I think it was like pretty early on six months into trying. I went to my OBGYN and she was like, because of your sister and your age, like we'll start testing. So we started testing. I, I started getting tests done. Um, the basic ones, nothing mm-hmm. like... Yeah. Just like blood work and all that. Yeah. Um, all came back normal. So she was kind of like, you know, we're going to give it a year and psst, go from there. And to preface all of this, I really love being in control of things. And so it's really hard. It was really hard for me to not have any control over that and having to wait
0: mm-hmm. an
1: extra six months. Um, But as soon as we hit that year, I called the doctor and, like, got everything scheduled. Which, again, my sister, having gone through this, like, very familiar with the process, she had a doctor that she found, Dr. Kawas, who's at Emory Reproductive. Wonderful human. I love her so much. And so I went to her,
0: and, yeah, that's how we got started. Okay. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, not amazing, but <laughs>
1: <laughs> amazing to have a doctor yes. and a sister. It was like a a comfort padding around this difficult time, if that makes sense. Like yeah, I, I know so many people who didn't know anybody at yeah, all, yeah. And to n- not only know somebody, but have it be my older sister, who also is my best friend, right, be there to give me advice and to help me was, yeah,
0: amazing. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. Yeah. So once you went to Emory, what did that look like? How long was that process getting started? Um
1: so pretty quick again because I'm such a control freak. So she's like these are the tests that we have to do and this was like I guess it was 7 years ago? Is that right? Yeah. It's about 7 years ago. Um <clears throat> so I forget all the tests, but the the HS HSG, H-S-G yeah. The one where they do like the The saline. The saline. Mm -hmm. But the first one they do with dye. Mm -hmm. And that one, I thought I was dying. It was so painful. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, The lady was like, most people are fine. They just have some cramping. And I was like trying to not make sounds come out of my mouth. It was so painful. I was embarrassed after the
0: fact. But no, that's good for people to hear. So if you have never had a SHG or an HSG, Sometimes it can be really painful. Yeah, and that
1: I think it was the first one was painful because of the dye they used. This the second one I remember, Doctor Kwas was like, "It shouldn't have been that painful." I'm going to do your next one, and it was way better. Okay, so maybe it was the doctor, maybe it was the dye, because the next one was just with saline. But yes, tip that it can be painful.
0: So now I'm actually remembering correctly. The HSG is the one with the dye. And the SHG is the saline. So if you've never had those tests done before, the dye is the one that can be pretty painful, whereas the saline is not as invasive.
1: So, yeah. So we did that. We did more blood work. You know, Burke had to get tested. We're trying to remember what else it was. I think, you know, just the basic stuff. Yeah. So um, then she recommended we do three IUIs. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, that's – it's really hard, obviously, going, like, trying month to month, devastating, and and then – but, like, the IUI starts to give you a little hope. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe this could be it. Yeah. And it made that, like, not getting pregnant even harder. Harder, yeah. Um, one – I think it was our second cycle for um, – with I, the IUIs, they – said I had five follicles. I was so desperate to get pregnant that they were like – usually we tell people not to do an IUI with right. five full-grown eggs. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, nope, we're doing it. <laughs> and so we did. And I remember I still have the image in my head of like getting in the car, and I was like, what did I just do? Like I am – I'm so desperate that, like, the logic left my, m- yeah. my body. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, we still didn't get pregnant. That, so mm. that was just, like, that one, I remember, was just, like, one of the hardest.
0: Yeah. Did you, because of your sister already going through the process, did you want to kind of skip the IUI stage? Or were you still very hopeful that IUI would work? I did because I really didn't want to have to go to IVF. To IVF. Yeah. yeah.
1: For many reasons. Sure. Yeah. But Yeah. I was just, I was hoping it could work. And that like, oh, maybe the IUI would work this time and then we get pregnant next time naturally or, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, Morgan and I both say that sometimes IUIs feel harder in a sense Mm. because it is your first like glimmer of hope. Yeah. And then when it doesn't work out, I mean, you're devastated. Yeah. It's just, it's different than trying naturally. Right. So.
1: Yeah. And and we have unexplained infertility. And so I think it's like, you have no idea. And so you think like maybe this is it. Like this is the first thing where I'm taking medication and yep. a doctor's helping
0: me. Yeah. It sounds like it would work. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So after IUIs, then was it a quick transition to IVF or did y'all take a break? No, because I'm again
1: it's <laughs> <I just laughs> like power through. I'm like ready to hold my baby and really just like and it's all this is also like Kind of the same thing for me every month that we tried. I would almost every month I would take a pregnancy test before my period because I wanted to, I didn't want my body to surprise me. I wanted to know before my body surprised me, if yeah, that makes sense, yeah, or disappointed me, yeah, before my body let me down, yeah. Um, because you know that's a whole other topic, but just like emotionally preserving,
0: yes, and not having to. And I think a lot of, things. yeah, I think a lot of women would probably either do the same thing or experience the same thing with infertility. You know, yeah. it's like, you're like bracing the fall almost. Totally. Yeah.
1: And, and I think that some of my powering through to like start treatment was to like, I have to know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I want to know how it's going to end up. Yeah. So, yeah. So because, again, because of my sister went through this whole thing and I, I saw her go through it, like I worked through a lot of things ahead of time before Mm -hmm. I even knew I was going to have to deal with it personally. And one of which is like the ethics of IVF Mm -hmm. as a Christian believing that life starts with conception, Mm -hmm. like every little baby embryo that's created is life. Mm -hmm. And um, Burke and I felt very strongly that we wanted each embryo to go in my body. Yeah. And so that was scary Mm -hmm. because... What if we ended up with 15 embryos? And yeah. some people do. Yeah. And yeah. another just shout out to Dr. Kuwas is we told her all of that and made her like aware of how much of a like a big deal it was for us. And she said, you will likely end up with, you know, harvesting like maybe 18, 19, 20, 22, somewhere around there, eggs. And then from that, you will probably have end up with five 3 to 5 embryos or probably she I think she said five embryos and from that you will end up with 1 to 3 children
0: and so, just with the statistics she had seen i guess so yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah and so i mean we just like put a lot of trust in her
0: yeah. in that so yeah that's hard and i think a lot of women that start the IV process, that's one of the big decisions they have to make is all the ethics behind it. Yeah. Um, Like,
1: what do you want to do if you don't use them? Yeah. Do you donate them? Do you destroy them? Or do you let somebody adopt them?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you pretty much get three options for those of you that aren't familiar with this. And, you know, every clinic has their own wording, but the three options are, One, you can donate to science and research, and that's pretty much just saying that your embryo can be tested and researched to help them further get a better understanding of how the whole process works and, you know, help other women in their journeys. And the second option would be to discard, and that's just saying that they would dispose of your embryo. And then the third one in some scenarios would be you can um, give it to another Family who might want to use it as a donor embryo. So, not every question is asking all three of those answers, but you know, you'll sift through and some will have two options, some will have three options. And those are kind of the three main options that you get to choose from. And like we said before, you have to choose one. (laughs) It's not like you can uh, neglect, you have to choose one of those options, which makes it even harder. And you get, you know, a Stack of paperwork <laughs> that you have Absolutely. to sign, yeah. you and your husband. And it's like an encyclopedia, yeah. reading all the legal jargon. I mean, it's a lot. Yeah. I mean, so, one of
1: the things is like, what do you want to do if your spouse dies? Yeah. Like, I was like, uh, do we have to answer that? <laughs> I, I don't
0: know. Like, yeah, what? it's just a lot of decisions at the beginning. So yeah. um, I really appreciate you sharing that because I know a lot of other women struggle with that. And honestly, I think I could say this that. Every single person who's reached out to me who has started the infertility process, that's their number one question, is mm-hmm. what do I do if I have too many embryos? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody's terrified of it. Yeah. It's a real fear, and yeah,
1: it's I, hard. I think that's like – I've heard other people say, like, I didn't think through it. Yeah. Because I think, like I'm I'm saying, like, I just wanted to power through. Yeah. And I think a lot of people do. You just want to, like, figure it out and yeah. have your baby if yeah. you can. Yeah. Um, and so – yeah. So like finding somebody, people that you align with, with your beliefs around that, like when, and figuring it out, if you don't know, when does life start for you? What does that look like? Are you okay with other people adopting your embryos? I, I heard somewhere, and I'm not, I don't know the exact statistics, but there's like millions of frozen embryos in the world. Wow. Um, and so, yeah. How do you feel about that? And what do you want for your own personal embryos?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a hard decision. And, you know, you'll have to make that with your spouse and figure out what's best for your family. But yeah. these are heavy decisions that you have to make. And I th- I think there's like sources
1: out there. I've listened to different podcasts and people talking about it. It can be really hard, at least for me personally, to listen to someone talk about ethics on IVF who has an experience in fertility yep. because they don't know the pain and they yep. don't know... What it feels like, yes. So that's another you know path to walk down and talk about. That's a whole yeah. other topic, but um, yes, yeah. So like where you get your information. Not that they can't have opinions or even have wise, sound advice. It just for me can be like you
0: just have no idea. You have no idea what this is like. Yeah, yeah. And here,
1: there you are, like pregnant with your yep third child, and
0: yeah, you know, yeah. Sometimes as brutal as it is, you just want to say like easy for you to say, you know, like it's easy for you to have these opinions when you have not even experienced an ounce of what I've experienced. right? Yeah. Oh man. Okay. So y'all, once you got past kind of the ethical decision, y'all started your first round of IVF. Yeah. Yeah. So started
1: the shots. I will say there's a lot to say about IVF. (laughs) Um, There, there's a there's a, they give you this long schedule. I'm a nurse. So like I'm very comfortable with medications, with scheduling medications, with giving myself anybody else. So it wasn't that part wasn't hard for me. Um I th- I said to so many people going there's I can't imagine doing this and not being
0: a nurse because Or somebody who hates needles like me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or like your husband and my husband hates needles too. Yeah. So like (laughs) then what do you do? And you just have to like – you just have to do it. Uh, I've gone to give some friends shots. I was in a bathroom stall at a party giving someone a shot in their butt. Yeah. was going through infertility. But just like also just having – there's very specific days when you give yourself a shot or you take a – pill or do whatever. Mm-hmm. I woke up one night, I think this was with an IUI and I was like, I forgot to dig my sh- trigger shot. It was 2 AM. Like God just woke me up out of wow. you know, the depths of my sleep. And I like ran to the fridge and gave myself a shot. But you really have to be on top of the schedule when you're doing IVF because the nurses don't, sometimes the nurses just like, I don't know how they miss it or what they do wrong. But there were a few times where I had to call and be like, Am I not supposed to be – I thought you were going to call me. Is today not the day where I'm supposed to give myself the shot? Yeah. Did you have –
0: Oh, yeah. 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 And okay. we – you know, Morgan and I both say that we absolutely love our nurses. So yeah. So it's nothing against the nurses. No. They're not really doing anything wrong. But you do. You have to kind of be your own advocate. Yeah. And you have to know your timeline. You have to know your medications. You yes. have to – you pretty much have to know everything because – they will miss a few things. And yeah, I mean, one of, I think on my protocol one time, they missed a, it was like a very mild medication. And I said, am I not supposed to be taking this medication, this go around? And she was like, oh yeah, you definitely are. And I was like, okay, well, it's not on the protocol. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I've definitely had that experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I've talked to a lot of people. I think everyone
1: I know who's done IVF has experienced that. Yeah. And again, not that the nurses are bad or anything. I no. think it's, you know, as a nurse, I know what your job is like. And you can, yeah. you know, certain things that I think as patients, we have to be on top of. But just for anyone out there who might be listening, just to be aware of that. Yeah. So, yeah, started doing all that. I do, Speaking of shots, I do remember one night when Burke was gone, because he was giving me the progesterone shots, with mm-hmm. a really long needle in oil. They're not great, super comfortable. I ended up not knowing.
0: Erica's they're- being generous. They are very painful to every other human being. They're not <laughs> very
1: comfortable. Yeah, they're like a. They're yeah. I don't want to scare anybody, but they're really painful. They're brutal. Yeah, <laughs> and I didn't know this, but I was allergic to the oil. My hiney was covered in welts. Ugh. Like poor Burke was like, I don't really know where to put this needle. You're oh my gosh, and it was itchy and awful. So if Again, if you experience that, <laughs> yeah. tell your doctor. I didn't know until the end that I was allergic to it. So, anyway, side note, but um, Burke was out of town and I was like, where, how am I going to give myself this shot?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I had to hype myself up, stabbed my thigh. Oh my gosh. With the needle. No. And it's like, I did it two nights in a row. And I was like, that was, that was like a, I don't
0: even know. That was crazy. Well, and psychologically, that was probably really hard too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, to have to stab yourself in the thigh.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I don't think I got the needle all the way in your time.
0: Oh my gosh. Um,
1: But it's just like what you do for Mm -hmm. those babies that you want so bad. Like you'll do anything.
0: Yeah. Well, even the shots in your stomach too, you get to a point where you're doing so many that you can't find a place. Yeah. You're bruised all over your stomach that you're like, I don't know where to put this needle. It's going to be in a bruise. Yeah. It's going to be in a previous, you know, little hole. Like it's, it's brutal in your stomach too. Yeah, totally.
1: Yeah, and th- uh, that's like another thing as a nurse where I'm like, I can troubleshoot this, but like what does everyone else yeah. do? So yeah, that's why it's so great to like have something like this podcast that you can listen to and hear those things and finding people that have gone through it as well. Yeah. Um, and if you don't have anybody personally, I'm sure like asking your doctor, there's probably pl- plenty of patients that they can connect you with. Yeah. I would think. So, yeah. So we did, it, it was very, I would say like by the book with all of that, and ended, um, ended up having exactly what Dr. Kwas said, somewhere around 20 eggs. I will say like the bloating with those medications to hyperovulate I looked pregnant, which was really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like t- constantly trying to suck my stomach. It was in the summer too. No, mm. mm, it was in the spring, but I was wearing like yeah. tighter clothes, trying to suck my stomach and afraid that someone might ask me. That, that's how bloated and big I was, mm. that I was pregnant. And yeah, but uh, from there, it was pretty straightforward. We did our first transfer and that was successful. And we had Graham our six-year-old, about to be six-year-old. Mm-hmm. And it was the best. I re- Oh, let, well, let me back up because I was, as everyone knows who's tried to get pregnant, you are so aware of your body mm-hmm. that it was Easter. I was like, I am cramping. I was supposed to find out right after Easter if it worked. And I was like, I'm not pregnant. I told Burke all weekend, I'm not pregnant. It didn't work. I feel the same as I always feel every month. I drank wine. So I was like, <laughs> screw this. I'm going to have a rosé. Yeah. And I was miserable. And that Monday I was like, I'm just going to take a test. And Burke, for some reason, was sleeping on the couch. I don't know why. <laughs> we didn't get in the fight or anything. But I went and took a test and I just like put it down. And I looked at it and it had the two lines. And I was like, I was shocked. Were you was, supposed
0: to go into blood work
1: that week? Yeah, that, that day. I think. I think. Oh, that day. Okay. Um, and I came out, and I, told, I picked the pillow. He had a pillow over his head. I picked the pillow off of his head, and I was like, "I'm pregnant." And he was like, "Wait, what? I thought you said you weren't." I was like, "No, I'm pregnant." <laughs> so it's that, you know, go I, on your other episodes. You all talked about this, but like grieving that, like mm-hmm. here's the cute little baby outfit and whatever box, like I dreamed of those and like going to where he proposed to me and telling him or, you know, like all those ideas. So like picking a pillow up off of his head and telling him that it it was uh, wonderful and exciting and great, um, obviously, but
0: it's just different. different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's really
1: different. Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah. And then from there, I'm kind of like speeding through this a little bit just to get, because it is like just a kind of textbook almost mm-hmm. story of infertility because I, I don't even want to say textbook. It's just like it worked. Yeah, the IV, IVF worked and we went to fairly quickly, yeah, you know, 15, 16 months into trying something around that timeline. Yeah, so but then with our second um, transfer, it ended up being a miscarriage. And I remember thinking like, so we we went in heartbeat, but it's something didn't look great. Like it was like, I know there wasn't a heartbeat yet. It was like a, a sac, a huh? but didn't have the spinal cord. Mm-hmm. And then they they said it didn't look great, but then we went in and there was a heartbeat, but then they still said
0: mm.
1: it didn't look great, which was confusing to me because the heart rate was good. Yeah. And then I had bleeding and then I went in and the heart rate was fine and it looked better. And then I remember with that miscarriage, telling people like, I don't feel like I'm pregnant. Mm-hmm. And it was so weird. People are like, you are though, you're pregnant. But I would be insanely nauseous one yeah. day and then the next day, nothing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I just like, I just had a feeling that I wasn't. Yeah. Um, And so we ended up going in at uh, like nine weeks, somewhere eight or nine weeks, and there was no heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And that We just, Burke and I both just started crying um, because I I guess we just weren't, we weren't, at at least I was thinking like IVF equals baby or no baby. Yeah. Like it either implants and you have a baby or it doesn't and you're not pregnant. Yeah. And so I just never thought that I would have a miscarriage, which is naive. Um, I don't
0: really know why I thought that, but. um, Well, I think. I actually think that's normal to think that Mm. because I think your doctors don't really Mm. educate women on that because they do. They kind of lay out the IVF, you know, I don't know, protocol is like, these are your statistics. It's very statistics driven, Mm. you know, like Mm -hmm. all of IVF is statistics. yeah And they're like, these are your statistics. You're right. It either like implants and you're pregnant or it like doesn't implant and the transfer just didn't work. Yeah. That's kind of how they lay it out. Yeah. So I would say most women do think that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that was like really, it was really sad. Yeah. Um, I think even though I had been like they were kind of prepping me for it as being a potential, I was really surprised by how emotional both of us were.
0: Mm-hmm. Cause I think
1: to see a heartbeat and then to not see one. Mm-hmm. Um is a life that's lost. Yeah. And it's um, a life that you imagine. I mean, as soon as you get that pregnancy yeah. positive, you imagine who they are. Yeah. And
0: they're a part of you.
1: Yeah. yeah. And that just, yeah, that makes me want to cry. just thinking like the that baby that doesn't get to be a part of our family,
0: mm-hmm. you know? And well, especially the baby that you worked and tried yeah. and- grieved and put all of this effort and time and money into you Yeah, know? I mean totally it adds up yeah and so that was really hard because you're thinking
1: like you know we're gonna grow our family and here comes another baby and that wasn't the case and with IVF they grade the embryos and mm-hmm. so we had five gram was the highest graded and so this was the next one so we were like oh you know surely this will work too yeah. because of the statistics and what they tell you yeah but I will say our doctor was like, the grading doesn't really have it. It doesn't really tell you a ton. Yeah. Um and so yeah, it took my body a while, like over six months to get back to normal. Which is another important mm-hmm. thing that
0: I think most people don't realize. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not the case with everybody. Everybody, right. you know, will have different experiences. But for a lot of women, after a miscarriage, it takes your body a really long time. Mm-hmm. To get back to like a baseline yeah you know sometimes the hcg can be in your body for months yeah oh yeah which is crazy yeah yeah and
1: i think that's another like area that you can compare yourself to in the infertility world of like my friend had a miscarriage and she was like it took her a month to get back to normal and like what's wrong with my body yeah and so that was really hard especially hoping to grow our family and then we went in so six, six, seven months later, when my body finally got back to normal. We went in for our next transfer and they defrosted that one and they said it wasn't really growing. So she like laid out the statistics mm-hmm. and was like, it it just it's hard to say for sure if this one will work or not. So we ended up letting it grow overnight. Mm-hmm. And that, like put it back in the dish and watched it because she was like, "We can refreeze it." Mm-hmm. And so we went ahead and defrosted the fourth one, which is Mac. Mm-hmm. And that third one, she called me the next day and was like, it like basically exploded in the dish. So that was like, you know, that probably happens within women's bodies all the time, but mm-hmm. we don't actually like see it
0: right. So, which that's a whole nother thing that I think most people also don't know about the IVF process. You know, when you have these embryos that are frozen, you arrive at your transfer date. And a lot of women don't get to transfer yeah. because something happened to the embryo yeah. when they unfreeze it because really? they un- they thaw it. I don't know what timeline they thaw it, but it's like um, 24 hours in advance or something. I don't remember i don't know i could be totally wrong mm-hmm. on that uh timeline but it's not like they would know you know a week or yeah. two in it oh, yeah i think if they defrosted that morning like the before morning, you maybe. come in because yeah. you don't get any warning I that's think. right so i've heard if you know yeah. several women who come in yeah to do their transfer and they find out in that moment that they don't have an um an embryo that they're able to transfer yeah which and then in your case You're just put with that heavy decision on do we, yes, another like like,
1: ethical thing where I'm like,
0: Do you, is this, yeah, is this
1: going like, would this be a human, like a person that like comes out of my body alive? Yeah. And so that was hard and sad and weird to hear because again, like I didn't think I would hear that. Yeah. And kind of grieved that as well. So, yeah, from there it was, I, I ended up getting pregnant with our fourth embryo, which was Mac and he is three and a half now. And yeah. And then our, our fifth embryo, again, almost like not great and super great. Didn't really know if it would work and it did. And that's our baby Owen. So three crazy boys <laughs> and so thankful for IVF and giving us our family
0: and it working the way that it did cuz i think it could go so many different ways yeah so so looking back on your journey is there a time or a period that you would say was the hardest either with y'all's marriage or just just are you particular i mean what would you say probably was the thing that stood out i think that
1: i this the name of this podcast is so fitting n- never alone i was listening to one of the episodes walking and i was crying like at what was being said but also like thinking about the title mm-hmm. because that is something that even if people know that you're going through infertility you still feel so alone yeah um it's almost like it's like you're standing on an island and everyone's getting off of their little islands onto boats and they're like – and the boat is like, I'm pregnant, you know? Yeah. And you're just still standing there watching everybody jump into the water that you want to be in. Yeah. And getting married at the same time as friends and then everyone starting to get pregnant and watching them move forward in a way that I was still standing still. Yeah. Yeah. And then like there's occasionally a friend who's like, we've been trying for five or six months and you're like, come on to my island. Right. (laughs) And then they're like the month later, they're like, all I needed to do is take progesterone and then they're like off the island on their boat. And so that was really hard. And Mm -hmm. Burke and I talking about this a couple of nights ago, just like trying to remember certain things because, um, you know, we're removed from it for a few years um you forget a lot or you block a lot out of your memory and he was saying that it was really hard for him because I would go through this grief cycle again he's also a counselor so like (laughs) very aware of emotions and feelings within himself and within me and I'm incredibly thankful for that for many reasons yeah but he was like it would be okay now it's you're ovulating it's time to try and then we all know how that is when you're trying to get pregnant, not mm-hmm. the greatest. And then you're like really hopeful for two weeks. And then you're devastatingly disappointed.
0: Yeah.
1: And then you are like crying, sad, grieving for two weeks. And then you get hopeful again. Yeah. And so he was like, it was just this really hard emotional cycle mm-hmm. over and over again. Yeah. Where he didn't personally feel the emotions yeah. of like, we're never going to have a kid or it's never going to work out. Yeah. Like the fear of that. Um, it was more of just like feeling like he was losing me. Mm -hmm. It was just a lot of ups and downs. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, I would say that was kind of similar with our journey too, Brad, you know, I felt like he would ask some questions of like, you know, what's go- not no not necessarily what's going on but i guess like you said he felt like i was lost like and mm-hmm. i was i mean i was yeah. lost in this roller coaster of emotions and yeah i didn't know what was going on i didn't know how to feel or what to feel and he was just it's really it was really hard for him to watch yeah you, you get so like
1: hyper focused yeah on it and i would google i'd be on my phone googling all the time yeah everything i felt and yes. at, at every point of the month. Yep. And yeah. And I remember too, one month or at what, during like our year of trying, or no, it was during, I was after an IUI. We were at a wedding. It was in the spring, early spring. Yeah. And one of, I think it was one of Burke's friends' wives was like, we're pregnant. And I was just like, Yay! I, I don't remember what I said. I, who knows what I said? I, I went into the bathroom and closed the door, and the and I sobbed. Yeah. I was in there for like forty five minutes, mm-hmm. and yeah, like that. That was just that was hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the women just like telling you or telling you they got pregnant by accident, or um or even women saying something I, one of my friends was like, what's ovulation? And I was like, huh, what, how do you not know what that is? But like, if you don't have to think about it or you don't have to like research and buy ovulation strips and know what your body's doing, like, you know, maybe you just blissfully don't have to. Burke and I joke that like, you know, We, it costs us thousands and thousands of dollars to have our babies. And some people just buy like a $20 bottle of wine and then they have their baby. That's how they have their baby. Um, But, but that kind of.
0: Well, going off of, so going off of that, you brought up a good point. Did you have, or what would you say would be a lot of your triggers during that time period? Like, did you have any triggers that stood out to you? in y'all's journey i think
1: i don't know about trigger i so i know a lot of people deal with it differently where there's a lot of people who like do not tell anybody mm-hmm. or don't talk about it or are like someone will say don't you want to have kids oh like maybe eventually at some point whatever i am like it, that question would make me so mad mm-hmm. that i would be like yeah actually we've been trying and yeah. i'd be really mean and rude <laughs> Because I want them to feel, I wanted them to feel embarrassed for asking me that question. Yes. Um, Because it's not a great question to ask. That was not a good way to go about it. But I think like, I just felt a lot of anger Mm -hmm. around all of it because it was, I was angry that I couldn't get pregnant. I was angry that we had to do all of these things. I was angry that I couldn't just, like, have this normal story. And Mm -hmm. so when someone asks me a question like that, it's like, I'm going to make you feel really bad for asking (laughs) (laughs) you. Not a good thing. I would not recommend that. I would go back and probably do it in a more loving, kind way, just acknowledging the facts instead of being about it. But that's just how I felt at the time. And even, like, women who would tell me that they were pregnant – even my good friends like I didn't feel happy for them mm-hmm. I just felt really mad yeah and I think that's okay like mm-hmm. you, what can you do like it's just a really sad and hard thing to hear somebody tell you
0: yeah well I was about to say to validate you maybe you think you didn't go about it necessarily in the right way but from what we have gathered most people are so angry at the beginning mm-hmm. stages because yeah. you are you're so pissed off Mm -hmm. at the way you have to do everything Mm -hmm. the process the waiting the procedures the blood work the medications the shots the i don't know the office visits i mean it's just it's so frustrating that we have to do it this complicated way i mean to us it feels like we're climbing Mount everest yeah when everybody else is just like waving from the top, <laughs> you know, like they plane already, dropped him off. Yeah. yeah. A plane dropped yeah. him off at the top and they're just waving like, you yeah. got it. Yeah. And we're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. So I think a lot of people feel that way. Yeah. That's a good point.
1: Yeah. And you know, because we rushed through not, I wouldn't even, yeah. I mean, we went, we did everything as soon as we could. There's a lot that I didn't experience in the grieving waiting That I know a lot of people have, which is something that I've been thinking about a fair amount now and comparing my story to other people's story, because I feel like there's this infertility club that we all belong to. But like there's times where I feel like I don't really belong to it because it was, you know, a little over a year and, and the first round of IVF worked for us and we have three wonderful, sweet boys from that where I know there's so many people who it looks way different, Um, have friends who like have secondary infertility that have had late-term miscarriages and have never been able to have another child or like people who did six rounds of IVF or um, people that it just didn't work for. And so I think comparing my story and feeling like I'm not worthy, not even worthy, but like, I'm not in the club, but realize, like thinking back and and coming and doing this podcast and remembering all of these things and a, a lot of stuff that I didn't all go into fully because there's so much in that time yeah. that you experience and hard things reminded me that I am, and that everyone's infertility journeys looks different. But it's a wonderful thing to have other people mm-hmm. that you can talk to that have gone through it, that can say like, I know exactly what you're feeling.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: Because I, I do know what those feelings are and it's awful and hard. And yeah, just to validate people in that experience that you're having and fears and um, whatever it might be, how real that is. Mm -hmm. Even if, yeah, even if you're, your journey ends um, with the infertility, yeah, struggle.
0: I don't know if that makes sense. But- no, it does. I think it's good for other people to hear because I think in our world today, we do always try to, you know, one up whether that's like my pain is harder than your pain yeah, or right. my story is more my story's more devastating than your story and it's mm. just no we don't really you know we don't really need to be doing that in the infertility world yeah. so it's yeah. just we are all in this club together and yeah. we're rooting for everybody and yeah. everybody's story is different not one person going through infertility mm. has the same journey yeah. you know everybody has some aspect that is going to be different right because everybody's bodies are different totally yeah Well, is there anything before we get off, is there anything that you would say to somebody listening, just either an encouragement or just something that you've learned from the process that you could say to women who might be in the thick of it now?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I would say that like being on that island alone that I was talking about earlier, there's people that are on their own little island also mm-hmm. and that I hope that you can maybe get some binoculars and see them and yeah. like see it through this podcast or finding someone else. Because I think it's so important when you're going through it to have someone else yeah, like walk with you that has experienced it. Yeah, Because I think, of course, we can have friends who are like parents, whoever, who are loving and kind and there to listen and hear counselors mm-hmm. too. But to have someone just say, like, I know the feeling, I'm mm-hmm. sure it's similar to, I mean, it really kind of is similar to grieving
0: because you're yeah. grieving, yeah,
1: not that, I mean, unless it's a miscarriage, but not necessarily the death of someone, but you're grieving the loss of something that you longed for yeah. and that we hope for
0: mm-hmm.
1: as women and um, husbands wives to, to have our children and to have biological children and
0: mm-hmm. to experience that. Yeah. So I think that's great. Well, we're so glad that you were able to share your story today. I know it's going to help a lot of women, um, and, and their own journeys, not to feel alone through this process. And if you're listening today and you have questions, we'd love for you to reach out and The best way to do that is through our Instagram page. The handle is never alone infertility. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We are taking next week off for the Thanksgiving holiday, but we wanted to acknowledge that we understand holidays can be extremely triggering to those going through infertility and struggling with loss. This might be another holiday that you walk through without a baby in your hands, or this might be a holiday where you are remembering a loss that you had. Um, We understand that it's hard with family dynamics, being around lots of other children. Maybe you have doctor's appointments that you're trying to get in before the holidays. So we want to acknowledge you and let you know that you are not alone throughout this process. And we're here for you. And we're sending all the love and thoughts and prayers towards you during this season.